Welcome to the Crossroad International Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. going to tell one story on mom and dad today, so, so I'll, I'll do one, but uh, mostly I'm going to preach today a sermon that I really need to hear, so that's my, that's my goal. I'm just going to share with you what it is that God's been working on with me, so that's where we're headed, but before we get there, I just want to say a little tiny bit about what it is we're doing in Tanzania. Um, my name is Jacob. I've been married for 18 years to the most beautiful woman in the room, Kimberly. She's right back there. And we're uh, living and working right now in Arusha, Tanzania, with a group called Pomoja Ministries. And I know Pomoja doesn't mean anything to you, but in Swahili, it means together. It's, uh, it's the and that goes between sort of peas and carrots. It's when things get together really well, they are Pomoja. And so that's the name of the, the mission, mission that we're with. And what we do is we, we are discipling cultures through media. How many of you have a cell phone? Re- real quick. All right. And the rest of you do, but you're not paying attention. So <laughs> cell phones have a little screen on them. You can play videos. And you're here in Kuwait, and, and, and you think, okay, of course, we've got cell phones. Let me tell you, you cannot get lost anymore out in the bush in East Africa. You, you, you can't. If you are somewhere... And I mean out in the boonies, the bush, way out. And you've looked and you've walked and you've whatever. Maybe your car broke down. You've been walking for three hours and you're just giving up. And you think, well, there's nobody. All you have to do to get rescued is go behind a bush and drop your drawers. The moment you do that, there'll be a little kid behind the next bush. (laughs) And you can ask to borrow his cell phone. Everybody, everywhere in the world these days has a cell phone. That's my wife's story. (laughs) And those cell phones can be used to distribute media. And that's one of the things that we're doing. We're also using books, music videos, all sorts of different things to equip the churches in East Africa so that the local folks can reach their own people for the gospel. That's roughly what we're doing. And so I brought two things with me. One, I'm going to hand around, and I I realize as it's getting handed around, you won't be able to pay attention. This is just the Bible, but it's a comic book version of the Bible that we've translated. And so I'll start here. If you just pass it around, I need it back at the end of service. So somebody at the back, if you could bring it back to me. Um, It's it's, If you uh, speak English, and hopefully you do today, it's also available in English. It's called the Action Bible. And if, especially for younger folks that aren't really into reading, it's the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation drawn out. And we've got it translated now into Swahili. And we're putting it in the hands of people who are doing life groups. And where we live, most people don't read and write. And so if you've got a life group and you're trying to 
get people interested in the Bible who don't read and write, you can't do better than that comic book. And so that's one of the things we're doing. One of the other things that we're doing right now that I'm really excited about is we're doing children's ministry. The average age of a human being in Tanzania is 18. It's going down to 17 soon. And then it's looking like we're going to bottom out at about 16. And the reason for that is because so many kids are being born. There's just been a massive boom in the, in the child population across East Africa. Most churches have nothing, I repeat that, have nothing in Swahili for children. Nothing. So you have teachers teaching Sunday school, but they just have no idea what to do. And so we're trying to fill that gap, again, with media. And so if you'll show a quick uh, video clip here, this is what we're putting together. And the way that this works, we've got 48 episodes. So if you add Easter and Christmas and maybe one other time, this is a full year's curriculum for kids. Every, uh, every week, th there we go. the show works we've got that lady Shangazi and her neighbor who's the puppet he gets himself in lots of trouble at school and then she's a Sunday school teacher and so she brings him over to her Sunday school puppets that's uh, I think Potiphar and his wife and over there we've got Joseph and using the life of Joseph she illustrates how to get out of the various problems that he's gotten himself into so thank you that's a uh, a Sunday school curriculum that we've got, we've got very nearly finished. I've been working on it now for about three years. Uh, writing scripts, translating, not having anybody who was able to work a camera because it all fell through, praying like mad, having the set built, all of the actors there, everything ready to go, nobody to work the camera because it all fell through, saying, God, what are you doing? and then having out of the blue one of the best camera people in North America show up. He works for CBS. He's a professional camera guy with just a knack. Uh, anyway, showed up at, at it, he was late, 
but only just barely. So God's timing is better than ours, and we got that whole thing put together. Uh, and now we're, we're making it into a curriculum and getting it out, out to the world. We've, uh, we've been in Tanzania now, Kim and I, for eight and a half years, roughly. And when we got there, Tanzania's media, we were discipling cultures through media. Our media was one movie. We had one movie. And at that point, uh, the whole way of distribution that we had was me. I was the whole team. So I had a generator and a, a little projector, and we'd go out from church to church in, in the area around. We'd crank up the volume and draw a big crowd of people, show the movie, and it's a, it's a beautiful musical about a, a young lady who's not saved, and by the end of the movie, she is saved, and she's got a really creepy, creepy boss who eventually gets gets hers, and the crowd is like, yeah, that old lady's getting, getting what she deserves, nasty old lady. And then what we do is when the nasty old lady gets saved, we stop the film, and we give the microphone to the local pastor, and let him, in his own language, in his own words, give an altar call, and allow people to make a commitment to Christ in whichever way. Some of them are Christians already, and, and, they're, and they're recommitting. Some of them, very, very frequently, it's just straight evangelism, be, becoming Christians. And then at the end of the day, we pack it up and go home. And we, I was doing this for a couple of years, and, and it was okay. It was good. We showed it to several thousands of people, but really praying, God, we need, we need something. This film that you gave us, you gave us a vision and it wasn't 4,000 people. It wasn't a couple of hundred salvations a month. It wasn't this. This isn't, this isn't what media is supposed to do. Media is supposed to be extensive. We're supposed to really be able to get this thing out. We're, there's, there's more here, God. What's going on? Can you help us? I'm praying that prayer. And at the, the church we were attending on Sundays, there was another man. He was the head of World Vision for Tanzania. He's got a massive organization and no content. He says to God, God, I've got this massive organization. I can do anything I want. I can put out any message I want, and I've got no message. We need a message. And the two of us met. It's a long story. The two of us met. He bought a 1,000 copies of the film, and in one weekend showed it to 40,000 people. And we began to see fruit in a way that we had never seen before. There's power, massive power, if we will partner together to get the gospel out. God has not called every missionary to make media. God has not called every person to do every part of the whole gospel, but he has called all of us, every single one of us, to play a part in getting the gospel out across the world. So, now we come to today's message. Jacob and Kim live in Arusha, in Tanzania. We've been there for eight and a half years. We've got I think at this point we've got seven and a half hours of finished uh, TV shows that we're, we're distributing. We've got books and books. We've got that Bible that you just saw. We've got a shepherd's staff, which is a book for, for leaders. We've got all this great stuff, and we've worked hard to get it going and to begin distributing it, and it's going really, really, really well. And the team has grown. We're now over 20 people, and, and, and it's... I don't have to do everything anymore. I don't even do those movie showings. We've got two ladies who speak fluent Swahili who do it for me. And I can show up if I want to and just sit back and enjoy. It's beautiful. So I live in Arusha, in Tanzania, with a great team. 
having accomplished everything that we went to Tanzania to do. So March 1st, we're moving to Kenya, me and Kim, where the team will be me and Kim, and, uh, and that's it. And the idea is that we're going to start again to do those things that we've been doing in Tanzania and to spread, again, all of the message to be a resource center for the churches in Kenya. Kenya also speaks Swahili. The place we're going in western Kenya is also severely under-resourced. And we're, we're, we're going in, and we've already got some really good partnerships in place. But I would be lying if I told you that I was per- perfectly confident that I know exactly how it's all going to work. All that I've got to go on right now is a vision. It's just vision. And you know, it's sufficient. I am, at this point in my Christian life, able to tell you with confidence that it's going to go wrong, that things are not going to work out the way I like, that there is almost definitely going to be at least one six-hour line that I have to stand in at some government office somewhere that will result in nothing being accomplished. And yet, I am going to Kenya full of excitement because I've seen how faithful God has been in the past in all of the different things he's done. When he's given vision, he's always fulfilled it. And so I'd like to just encourage you and encourage myself with one of my favorite pieces of poetry. If you'll turn with me to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55, and if you'll forgive me, I, I know I'm supposed to keep my, my verses short, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to read Isaiah 55 today. So if you don't have your Bible, you're, you're, I'll, I'll read it to you. It's, it's beautiful. It's just a beautiful passage. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what's not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Indeed, I had given him as a witness to the people a leader and a commander for the people. Surely, check this out, surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him when he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eaters. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. 
For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. I'm getting ready to go. And I I know with uh, you guys all living here in Kuwait, there's a lot of coming and going. I'm getting ready to go. I want to go out with joy and be led forth with peace. I want the end of this little piece of poetry. I want it really badly. And I know how to get it. And if you walk with me through this, through this passage of Scripture, you'll find that in the first few verses, in verses 1 through 4, we're told to listen for abundance and to hear for life. The gospel is really unbelievably simple. Jesus Christ died for us in our place because we don't deserve salvation. We are able to access it by accepting the sacrifice that he made. Listen, hear that gospel, get saved. Very simple. Verses 5 through 7 has to do with what we do the moment after that. So Christmas just happened, right? So Christmas is a time when you give your kid the best thing ever and you get socks. You give them this thing that you, you, you put something in one side and it does the thing and it comes out the other side and it jumps up and down and it whatever. And you get socks or a tie or something, right? There's this unequal gift thing going on. And the reason it's okay is because you love your kid and, and et cetera, right? It's okay. It's okay. God has given us something unbelievably valuable. He died for us. The gift that we've got, been given, the thing that we're actually celebrating at Christmas, is a gift we cannot possibly repay. And I just want to be really sure here, I'm not asking anybody to attempt to repay. Works don't cut it. We ought not to repay, but we ought to respond. And the way that we respond is here. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because you're awesome. No. No. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Missions, international missions, the focus of today's thing. Here, here it is, guys. What does it say in Matthew 28? It says, anybody? It says, go, right? It, it, there in the back, what's it say? Go. But right before that, it actually says something that's absolutely key. It doesn't say, go into all the world and make disciples of everybody all by itself. It says that. And that's the part we typically hear. But it says that on a foundation, on a basis. Right before that, it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And it's Jesus talking. And on the basis of that, go. I'm in the business as a missionary of teaching churches in East Africa that they are supposed to be part of the Great Commission. That the Great Commission applies to a village pastor in a semi-nomadic desert in the middle of Tanzania in a place, just to name one, Orbili. That church in Orbili. 
is supposed to be sending missionaries into all of the world. They're supposed to be, by faith, putting their resources together to get the gospel out to you here and your neighbors here. They are responsible for the Great Commission, as are, am I, as are you, as are we all. And we are responsible for that call, not based on our pocketbooks. They are irrelevant. We are responsible for the call because he told us to do it. And he told us to do it based on a treasure house that we've never seen that is in heaven. We are responsible for the call that God has given us as a response to the gift of life that he has given to us. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. And I guarantee you it won't work out, the going won't work out the way you think it will. Quick story. My parents, back when I was young and good looking, or at least a lot younger, anyway, before we ever went to the mission field, before we went to Kenya, my parents were going around trying to become missionaries. There's this thing you have to do, which is called raising money. It's a real important thing. They were going around, I think, doing that. And as they went from place to place, they had some people prophesy over them. And in, in several different places, the same sort of prophecy got prophesied, that they'd find a village, and in the village, uh, all of the roofs of, of the village would be on fire, and that nobody in the village would know that anything was wrong. That they would find an old man rescue him, and then through his help, get the message out to the rest of the village, and in this way, sort of rescue everybody. You, you follow this, the basic story? All right. You have a picture in your head, and then there's God. So this was a vision that they had, that they received. The money came together. We, we went. Uh, Uganda fell apart, so we didn't go to Uganda. We went to Kenya instead. We got to Nairobi, and my parents had just barely enough money to make it. And as a result, we couldn't find a place to stay. And so dad started looking for a place for us to live, and he looked all around right where we were, and then in a circle bigger than that, nothing, and bigger than that, nothing, and then anywhere, still nothing, and just couldn't find a, a place to stay. And finally found a house where we could, we could afford the rent, and the reason we could afford the rent is because it was split in half. On one half, there was a a guy who was apparently real hard to get along with, an old British guy who had a mustache. I remember this man pretty well. He had a mustache, and he was speaking with his mustache in such a way. It was impossible to understand him. And you couldn't tell at all what he meant when he, he spoke to his mustache. <laughs> Colonel Hardy. And he had apparently driven off all of the renters before to the point that they had lowered the price enough that our family could afford to be there. So we moved in. We were working in Nairobi. At this point, the, the, that house was very far outside of the city. The city has since grown. It's in the city now. But in those days, it was way out in the sticks. And so dad was going in and out. And we were living there. And he, he wasn't necessarily a pleasant person. One day he was walking in the garden, I think. He fell and broke his hip. And so mom and dad prayed for him. They're good missionaries. That's what you're supposed to do. They went up. They laid hands on him, and they prayed for him. And I think nobody was more surprised when he was miraculously healed than mom and dad. He was healed completely. So I'm in third grade. I'm doing my math homework. 
and there's a knock on the door. And with nothing after that, the door burst open and this little old lady walks in and she says, mom comes in, can I help you? And the little old lady says, yes, my name is Edith Harvey. I've been diagnosed with terminal cancer. I've got two weeks to live. You prayed for the colonel, pray for me. So they prayed for her. She went to the doctor and the cancer was gone. And what began to happen after that is my mom and dad started going to bridge club and chess club and all of these things. And one by one by one by one, all of these old British people who had gone to Lemuru to die began to give their hearts to the Lord one by one by one. A village with a roof on fire. Nobody had any clue that there was something wrong and an old man was rescued. And as a result, a whole group of people who were completely unreached, living out in the open, gave their hearts to the Lord. And they were old. My parents were the youngest people at some of those bridge clubs by like 40 years. And then after having brought most of them to Christ, dad started preaching funerals. And Colonel Hardy died. We, we moved down to the coast. There was a whole other group. And the introduction, the, the, the news of my parents had gone before them. And so at a golf club down there, the same sort of thing started happening. There was a quiet little revival, World War II survivors that had gone to East Africa to retire. The vision that God gave got fulfilled. But it wasn't in the shape, it wasn't even the color that any of us had imagined. And I expect the same sort of thing is getting ready to happen as Kim and I go to Kenya. We have some ideas. God's given us vision. I expect the same thing in your life. The thing it is that God's asked you to do, the vision that he's given you, maybe it's a neighborhood, maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's that unsavable relative you've got back wherever you came from, whatever it is. Keep the thing in prayer. Keep the vision. Hold on to it. And then step out in faith. Verses 8 through 11. My ways are not your ways. They really aren't. But there's this promise that's buried in there that's so beautiful. My word will accomplish that which I sent it to do. I, uh, I had an experience a couple of years ago. I was invited to come to a meeting by that same fellow from World Vision who, who started distributing all of our things. He wanted to put together a, a, a meeting where he brought leaders together and we could begin to talk about trying to change the worldview of, of Tanzania and East Africa. It was a great idea for a conference. And he asked me to come, but I was supposed to be on furlough at the time, back in the States. And it's kind of a long, you know, it's a long way to go just for one meeting. And so I told him very politely, no, I cannot go. Thank you. And I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Every time I prayed, that meeting came back up into my mind. And I, I felt very much like God wanted me to go. So I tried talking God out of it in every way I could think of, and I just wouldn't, it just wouldn't, I never got comfortable with the idea that I wasn't going to the meeting. So 
from furlough, I flew back to Tanzania for four days to attend this meeting and then flew back to the States and got to the meeting. There were lots of different Christian leaders there and a lot of um, sort of professional helpers of people, uh, different NGOs and other things. And the meeting was a complete disaster. It was a bomb. I mean, it, was, it, it couldn't have been worse if we wanted it to. We had a, a group of people there who was desperately trying to figure out a way to, to say, although they wouldn't quite say it, but to say everybody's going to be fine whether they're a Christian or not. What we need to do is we need to make them more comfortable. We need to, we need to help with water. We need to help with lots of other good things. All of the things were good. But the fact was they kept trying to pull the gospel out of the room, trying to take Christ out of the Christian. It just, and I got, I was sitting, you know, listening one day, and I, I just, I couldn't handle it. And I stood up, and I said, listen, I came here to try to give people a biblical worldview. That means Christ. I am not interested in making people more comfortable on the road to hell. And I looked around. I was like, oh, Lord, I just stood up and said this in public. That was my, my big contribution to the meeting. Well, one guy towards the back said, amen, right when I said that. His name is Solomon Nabie. He runs a group that has since then expanded. They're now at 90,000 members meeting weekly with Bible studies, living in western Kenya. And I'm going to Kenya in large part to partner with him so that we can put the materials that we've got through his groups so that all of the life groups, 90,000 life groups in Western Kenya can be given a copy of that Bible that's passing around and etc. God knows what he's doing. I had a vision that I was supposed to go to this thing. It was not what I expected, but the fruit of it in the long run, it's been several years, has been very good. So, the joy of serving the Lord, verses 12 through 13. You'll go out with joy and be led out with peace. You know, it doesn't, it, it just doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. If you're a Christian, you ought to be rubbing a little bit of Christ off on everybody around you. I, uh, I used to work in a, for a company called Sigma Aldrich in St. Louis, and we, it was a good company, but they had a really strict no witnessing, no proselytizing, they call it, no proselytizing, and they would go back, we'd have a safety meeting once a quarter, and they'd tell you, you know, it's a chemical company I worked for, don't blow yourself up, this stuff is dangerous, things marked poison or poisonous, etc. Uh, thank you. And they would also remind us, and be nice to everybody, no sexual harassment, no this, no that, no the other, and no proselytizing. Check. We're not going to proselytize. So I didn't, but I was a Christian in that workplace. And so what I did, very simple, whenever somebody was sick and had the sniffles, I would go to their cube, and I'd take a knee. We had relatively short walls in those cubes, and say, hey, I heard you're sick. Mind if I pray for you? Eight years I worked there, I never had anybody say no. Never. Pray for them, get out of there. And over the years, I had various people come to me. I had one lady come to me one day. She said, Jacob, you need a cigarette break. Okay, I don't smoke. And you don't smoke, I think, but okay. 
She took me outside. Her marriage was falling apart. I'd prayed for her when she had a cold. She needed somebody to talk to. If you smoked, you got an extra two 15-minute breaks a day. And so for about six weeks, we took two smoke breaks a day and just talked about her, her marriage. I'll close with one last story. It was a, a while, not that long ago, I uh, was out on my motorcycle in Maasai land. And the, the Maasai that we work with, uh, God gave them a vision. He said, build a school. And they replied to God and they said, God, we got nothing. And when I say they, they've got nothing, most of the people that we're talking about have no job at all. They just, they just run goats around. And the ones that are employed are making a lot, lot less than a dollar a day in the jobs that they have. So when they say they have nothing, there's a level of nothing that they're describing that's pretty close to actually nothing. God, we've got nothing. And their leadership was told, no, that's not true. You have a choir. You sing. Making a long story short, we've taken that choir across North America, Canada, and the United States, sung in all sorts of places, all sorts of places. There was a, one particular time, I've got a cousin who had a tiny little church. It's smaller than just this front little area in Clinton, Louisiana, on a Thursday night, right at the beginning of the very first choir tour. At that point, the choir showed up. We had $340 or something like that in our bank account. Nine people, 12,000 miles, food, gas, all of that. And here we are in Clinton, Louisiana on a Thursday night, and there was nobody in the church. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The church is set right next to a juvenile detention facility, right? The warden brought some of those young offenders in. The Maasai, they're in the back, right at the back, all in their prison uniforms. The Maasai sang, gave testimonies, and at the end, I gave an altar call. And seven or eight of those young men ran, tears streaming down their face to give their hearts to the Lord. And I thought, wow, this is our God. Prior to that trip, only one of those Maasai had ever seen a stoplight before. And on the other side, you have young men who were forcibly removed from their homes and dragged across the state of Louisiana to be brought into an encounter with Jesus Christ. That's cool. That's God. That's how that works. Anyway, so I'm out in Maasai land with these guys. We're trying to discuss some minor point about the school. I don't remember. I, it was in one of these meetings that goes on forever. And a guy ran up to the school. We're, we're talking with the school um, the administrator. And he, he says, Mzungu, Mzungu. Hey, white guy. Hey, white guy. Njo, come. There's a guy who's fallen off his motorcycle. He's broken his arm. And you have medicine. So my entire medical training boils down to like five minutes in basic training where they said, if somebody's shot, yell, medic. <laughs> so, okay, I really did have medicine. So I went and we found this guy. He's a, a young warrior. He'd been driving his motorcycle, hit a route, flipped the bike over, and his left arm had broken completely, like completely it wasn't sticking out, but his left arm was about three inches shorter than his right arm. It was well and truly broken. And I do. I carry a, a medical kit with me. I had all the stuff except for the sticks to make a splint. 
So I quickly went through. I gave him every painkiller I had. I got all my stuff together. And uh, they laid him out on a, on a cowhide under a tree. There was a big group of people around. And so I asked them, please start to pray. So they started praying. And then I told the guy, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to splint your arm. So the way that that works, from everything I've seen, mostly on TV, <laughs> is I'm going to take my foot and I'm going to put it in your armpit. I'm going to pull your arm until it sets. And in the meantime, all these other guys around have cut sticks. We cut a whole bunch of sticks to make a splint. And we're going to splint your arm. Check. Aye, aye. Yes, yes. Good. So we get everything ready. I got it all laid out. Everything's unrolled. All the sticks are there. I'm as ready as I possibly can be to do this. And I put my foot in his armpit. And I pulled. Pulled. And it was hard to pull. His muscles had tightened up. He was a strong dude. And I pulled and got it. And I could hear it scrape across. And then it set. Thank you, Jesus. It set. And we got the sticks and we started to set the arm. But I, I didn't really know what I was doing. And so it slid back. When that happened, he broke out in a sweat over every part of his entire body. And I did too, in sympathy. It was just horrible. I apologized in all three of the languages that he might speak. I said, I'm sorry. And his arm was still broken, and I was still the only person there with any medicine. So I said, what we're going to do, I'm going to put my foot in your armpit. I'm going to pull. We're going to get this thing set. There wasn't a hospital anywhere near that place. And I did. I put my, my, my foot back in his armpit. I pulled on the arm. I got it back out into the right shape. We put the sticks on. We started to splint it up. And the second time, I was so afraid that it would go back that I held pressure on it the whole time. You're supposed to hold pressure on it the whole time. They never tell you that. So now you know. It takes about 15 minutes once the bone's back in place for the muscles around it to relax enough for you to set it. So there you go. If you ever have that happen to you, take more time. And when I was done, we had it splinted properly. And we were able to put him back on a motorcycle and send him about four hours off to the nearest hospital to get it done properly. So why did I do that? I did it because I was there. Where are you? Who's in the desk next to you at work? Who is your neighbor? Everybody that works for the creepy boss you work for works for the creepy boss you work for, and you've got something to talk to them about. God has put every single one of us on earth with one thing in mind that we're supposed to know him, to love him, to glorify him. And in response for the love that he pours out to us, we're supposed to tell other people so that they can get to know him too. It's really simple. God has put each and every one of us in precisely the right place. He's given us a vision. He'll work it out. He will not allow his word to go void. It will accomplish those things for which 
it's spoken. And I just encourage you, set a couple of arms this week. And listen, if you screw it up really badly, if you start to testify and you make Jesus sound stupid, if you just can't get it right, it's okay. It happens. Just pick your foot up and stick it in somebody's armpit. Do it again. Just do it again and keep doing it until you get it right. God bless you. I'd like, if I could, to ask you all just to stand. I'm going to pray real quick, and then, Dad, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you. But, uh, yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ and the simplicity of salvation. And then thank you, Father, that in addition to saving us, that you've given us this great work to do. Thank you, God, that you've chosen to work through us in spite of our, our shortcomings, in spite of our, our lack of faith from time to time, in spite of all that we are, God, you are great. Help us, Father, as we go from this place to dedicate ourselves more fully to you. Help me, Father, in this move to Kenya to really walk out the vision that you've given. And Father, bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen.